Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Pop up. Left side of the infield. Backs up Beatty having a hard time tracking it. Oh, no! What a disaster! That's in to score. Dodgers lead 3-1. As soon as this ball went up, it was trouble. Beatty circling it. Lindor's got to almost go get that ball, call him off. I'm talking today, getting asked today about the deadline and buying versus selling versus being patient right now. Yeah. Do you worry at all that you guys, with your wins and losses, might back the front office into a corner into, I mean, into selling? I mean, it, it, they're going to do what they do. You know, um, that's that's their job. Our job, it, their job is to put the team together, and our job is to um, get the wins. You know, they can put the best team um, possible, but if we don't get it done, um, it, it, it's it's it puts them in a tough position, um, and that's going to be a decision that they're going to make. You know, whether they want to trade to improve the team or they want to trade to uh, for the future. Um, Either way, uh, we got to go out there and control what we can control here in this clubhouse and what we can control for me in the box and at shortstop. Um, so, I was saying earlier, I got to have better bats. Is there a scenario? Buy and sell at the deadline? I'll be open to any opportunity, you know, and we'll, we'll talk through it as a group. And, um, you know, I think just, uh, you know, look, look for an avenue to, to continue to either add talent to the organization. Whether it's short term or long term, um, we have to we have to kind of evaluate it all. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Monday, July the 17th, 2023. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can show it up on podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. You can get me on Instagram. Talking Mets No G, and I want to welcome in the good folks from the fan-sided podcasting network as well as RisingApple.com. Well, uh, that lasted pretty quickly, not long at all. Welcome to another edition of the Talking Mets podcast. I think as we start, and joining me in just a little bit will be Mike Vaccaro of the New York Post. Had a chance to catch up on Mike uh, during the game, actually, last night, and I come to you on this Monday morning day off of the Mets, but we are officially waving the white flag here on the 2023 Mets season. I think after losing two or three of the Dodgers, a series of which they scored three runs, again, not looking crisp, not looking like a team that has 
any ability to start to get on a roll and play at a high level. And as we talked about just a few days ago, needing to play 660 baseball just to get back into this thing. I think it's fair to say, let's be honest, let's be fair. And I've always said on this program, when I say it's done, it's done. There's no agenda behind it. So putting it a little fork into the Mets, yes, there's still only eight games out of the wild card. It's not an impossible amount. And look, if things change, I guess we'll have egg on our face. But we're dunning the Mets. It does appear, listening to some reports last night, Joel Sherman saying the Mets are open for business, including guys like Verlander and Scherzer. Mets moving the rotation around, so Verlander gets, I guess, maybe an extra start before the trading deadline on August 1st, and away we go. So I'm not going to get too deep into the trade deadline, who to trade, who to, who not to trade. Um, you know, I think you guys know my position. It's pretty easy. The Mets can't go out, in my opinion, and gift Anybody, that includes guys like Pham and Robertson, unless they're getting something of value. You know, none of this, you know, Dominican Summer League teenager with tools that maybe we'll see in 30 years just to shed payroll, just to say that you got something for a free agent. I think it's important for the Mets to take a position as they head towards the August 1st deadline that these are the players that we're looking to move. This is the price that these players are at. And if you don't want to beat the price, good luck. Go get somebody else comparable for a better deal. You know, you've even seen reports that some of the very low minor league players that they gave up for Tyler Naquin last year are performing well, which goes to show you that even for component-type players in the right spot with the right team that's in need of something, you could turn out and get a couple of good assets. And I think that's what's important for the Mets to do that. I'm not going to list off who they need to trade, who they don't need to trade. I think anybody within reason. And I think there's some big ideas that could be part of that. Again, that's not for today's show because you know my philosophy at the deadline. And as we get deeper and deeper into the month of July, and the deadline within a blink of an eye will be here. We're talking about a couple of weeks away. I think the bigger question, and you know, I've been thinking about this a lot, we've spent the entire year talking about how there's not much the Mets can do. There's not much Billy Epler can do. There's not much that Buck Showalter can do. These guys just need to play to the back of their baseball card. And unless they're injured, hurt, or in some other way, other way on the wrong side of their arc, we expect it to eventually happen. Now, guys have bad years. That happens too. But it's been peculiar that Every member of the core of the Mets here, and I'll start on the offensive side, but even, you know, you know, we want to talk about Verlander and, and Scherzer possibly being on the wrong side of that, then leave them out. But I'm talking about Alonzo, McNeil, Lindor, lesser extent Nimmo when it comes to performance. Every single one of those core players that were a big part of 2022 has underperformed, and in some cases, significantly in 2023. Want to take Marte out and put him in with the Verlander, Scherzer? Are they coming to an end because of the fact that they're hitting the the late prime? Fine. I, I don't have a problem with that. And I started to ask myself, well, why? I mean, you want to blame Buck for this. You want to blame injury. You want to say Alonzo got hit by a pitch. 
Well, Alonzo since late April is sitting about a buck sixty. You know, McNeil is is not much better. You know, you've got about a sixty to sixty five game sample size for just both of those players. Guys that carried the Mets offensively in twenty nineteen at times, playing significantly below their career norms. And we're not talking about careers that span one season. We're talking about careers now that are about five years into this thing. I mean, both were going to be free agents. One signed up for uh, more time in McNeil. And Alonzo will see what happens. So I ask myself why. And I think, and this is where I'm going to take logic and analytics and all the other things that everybody talks about. I'm going to have an honest conversation with you because I think it's really important to start to understand how difficult the task of playing on this side of town for this team at this time is. And Mike Vaccaro, who will join us in just a little bit, actually started to talk about it, something that I've talked about in a recent column that went back all the way to 1988, a time when it was unfathomable for anybody who rooted for the New York Mets to think that this is a team that, every point in time seems to have some sort of extra hill to climb or no matter what the analytics or the blueprint dictates, it just doesn't seem to go the way that you want it to go. And when Steve Cohen came on board, you know, the big part of all that was blaming the owners, the Wilpons. And the big part of that blame was cash flow, intrusive ownership, you know, not letting pl- people do their jobs, hiring the wrong people, keeping the wrong people in the position for the wrong reason. But even with all that, it was mainly the fact that the world in the game of ba- baseball and the, and the sports world became really expensive where wealthy people like the Wilpons really couldn't hang with all the big money equity type groups that, you know, now own professional sports teams or other owners that, for whatever reason, in their business, took their team to the next level financially. The Mets weren't able to necessarily compete with that at a level of a New York club. So Steve Cohen comes on board, and right away you figure a lot of the stench of some of the negativity, certainly negativity that's existed for the last decade plus, was going to go away. And it did for a bit. Yeah, you had the -the off-the-field stuff with Jared Porter and Zach Scott. And the whole nobody wants to work for the Mets nonsense. So there was a bit of a baptism by fire for Cohen. You know, everybody reading a book about Cohen that was written by somebody else, unauthorized, that didn't really, you know, wasn't like a Cohen autobiography. And everyone made assumptions about that. So Thanksgiving of 2021 comes along. Stephen Matz doesn't sign. And from that point forward, Going into the 2022 season, everything that Billy Epler, as he was hired, touched, turned to gold. Everything that Cohen did turned to gold. And heading into September of last year, you had a team that was poised to win the division and make the playoffs and and possibly make a deep run in just one short season of Cohen ownership, going from you know a high 70 wins team to one of the best seasons in franchise history, short of 86, 88. I mean, it is. Look at it up, and we'll talk about that later. The 2023 Mets are one of the top five teams in Mets history when you start to look at run differentiation and expected one loss and things like that. Ever since September hit last year, 
and that Braves series specifically where the Mets got swept, things haven't been the same. Now, sure, you had the winter where for a period between, again, Thanksgiving and Christmas, the Mets made a flurry of moves, mainly due to their wallet, Kodai Senga, Brandon Nimmo's back, David Robertson is signed. You, I'm not going to go through the transaction log here. You guys know about it. And then we know when things started to turn a little bit, when Correa, who was supposed to be the final piece with this big 10, 11, 12-year deal, signed and then failed the physical, it hasn't been the same. And then we know about Diaz and things like that. And those are freak things. But ever since September of last year, the crispness the heads-up nature of who they were for a big part of 2022. Even Buck sometimes with his bullpen, which was masterful in 2022, he's even taken a bit of a hit. So why is it? And you have to start to go back to this yoke that I talk about. I know people, you might shut the the radio off here. You might say, hey, I'm, I'm done with you, Mike. I don't want to hear about voodoo. But ever since the fall of 87 and, and maybe 88, when Terry Pendleton hit that home run in 87, and then obviously Mike Sosha, what happened with the Dodgers in 88, Mets fans have become accustomed to wait for the other shoe to drop, whether it be Charlie Brown in the football with Lucy or Murphy's Law, whatever it may be. Mets fans have become accustomed to that. And look, the history got pretty bad pretty quick after Mike Sosha and the 88 Mets. You had... The worst team money can buy. You had some of the frustrating near misses of the Bobby Valentine era. You had some of the missteps when they had a chance to potentially get back into, you know, taking the city away from the uh, the Yankees, whether it be, you know, the reboot in 2002, the collapse of 07. And then obviously we know what happened when Madoff and the Mets post-2010, but You know, without getting into each individual situation, you have to start to think that the weight of playing in this town, which was always difficult because, as I've said, the Mets are the second team. The Yankees took their brand. They took a situation in the 90s when George Steinbrenner came back from suspension when they had these core Hall of Fame players. They had a season of the ages in 1996, and they didn't just make it a, you know, hey, great season Let's look back at that for the next 30 years. They turned that into a dynasty. And that dynasty won over a generation of Mets fans and made the divide and the job for the Mets, the other team, uh, for Yankee fans, I should say, a a whole uh, generation of Yankee fans, which also made the task for the Mets that much harder on the field and off the field. And the minute Cohen came in and did what he did and cleaned it up, and made everybody think that things were going to be okay forever and and things were going to be easy. The joke was really on all of us because all Cohen did was add more expectations and less of a tolerance for error with this club, with his big wallet. The task of playing for the New York Mets now had the added expectation of you're spending the most money in the league, you could get anybody you want. Fans are starting are starting to expect that they could get everybody that they want. So logically, that increases the pressure and the expectation. 
and I'm still bothered, and I brought this up on uh, Somebody Shea podcast with Anthony Rivera. If you haven't checked it out, go check it out. I was on there over the All-Star break. It's still relevant content. When Pete Alonzo said, and I, I can't find the audio, and I'm sure, and please let me know if you guys heard this. I'm pretty sure it was during ESPN's tour of all the camps during uh, spring training. When he said that last year, this club and this clubhouse did not enjoy the season of 2022 as much as they should have. And I kept thinking to myself, well, why? Why wouldn't you enjoy that season? I mean, you did everything well. You were way ahead in the division. And and I even remember when the Mets hit Memorial Day last year with a 10-game lead in the division. I think it actually tied the noose even tighter because now you had to win the division. And all the bad memories of collapses like 07 and whatever started to come up right away. So somehow over the last 30, 35, 40 years, this has become and as you you know, a tough place to play. And as you see the New York Rangers win a Stanley Cup, the Chicago Cubs win a, uh, a World Series, the Red Sox win a World Series, all these traditional curses, teams that for so many years not only had a loyal and passionate fan base, but at any moment when you thought they were about to hit glory, something would happen. They would fall short. And it took a lot in all three of those cases for those teams to break those curses. It took a special guy like a Mark Messier in winning the Stanley Cup. And you saw you know, what happened with that 4 Red Sox group. With that curse, went way. It, it fought hard. It fought all the way to the end, up until the World Series win. Finally, shedding themselves of the Yankees was, I guess, the panacea to move forward. And the Cubs, I mean, anybody who saw that final World Series game where they won the championship, was that Game 7, Game 6? I think it was Game 7. Maybe Game 6? Game 6. You saw what they had to do with a rain delay and everything like that. So curses or, or anvils on the back of teams don't go away easily. And just because you have a wealthy owner who can buy any player he wants and has infused so much capital into different parts of the organization to try to speed up the process of undoing some of the bad outcomes of the final years of Will Pond ownership, it doesn't mean that this thing is going to be any easier. And with all those expectations, you have to start to wonder, as you sign players, whether it be Otani this offseason or develop the next core stars, are these guys that come here, that work through the system, are they ready for what awaits them? And I'm starting to question when you start to look at the Mets core. And really the Mets core is on the offensive side. Lindor is going to be here for a while. I know a lot of fans are hoping that Pete Alonso resigns. That's a conversation I think we've started to see a little bit of. Should the Mets put Alonso on the block and see what's available? McNeil, who's got a little bit of a contract here. Nimmo, who's got a long-term contract here. You have to start to ask yourself, are these four or five guys, are they really ready? And I'll put Alvarez in there, because Alvarez now is early on trying to put himself into that conversation. Are these guys ready for the task at hand? Because Andy Martino even tweeted it over the weekend. This has become somewhat of a difficult and, at times, toxic place to play. 
And then when you look at this roster and this team, and look, I don't have any indication they're going to rebuild. It's been from the start they've talked about retooling. There's going to be a number of decisions that Billy Epler makes, and Steve Cohen by bringing in somebody to work with Epler, that many fans and the media will take as inertia, which will heighten the negativity, which will heighten the criticism. And I fully expect, even though I'm curious to see what kind of big idea these guys might have up their sleeve, I fully expect as they retool and if they sell off, it'll be on the component part of the roster, that going into spring training 2024, that a lot of the same names and faces that we're talking about today here in July of 2023 are going to be back. And the conversation is going to be like, hey, do they have a resume? They're not this bad. McNeil's not a 250 hitter. Pete Alonso's not a 200 hitter. Francisco Lindor can do better. He can be better. He can be the guy that we saw that arguably was an MVP during the 2022 season. Alvarez is going to be Mike Piazza light. And, I mean, we'll throw Brett Beatty in there. You know, Brett Beatty, he, you know, you may not have seen a really good version of Brett Beatty, but this is a kid that could be your third baseman for a decade, will not be this bad defensively dropping pop-ups that hit him on the head, and, you know, could hit you 15 to 20 home runs and, and hit about, you know, 275. And it's going to be hard for a lot of fans to buy into that because why? You know, there are going to be a lot of fans and media that are going to want this thing ripped to the, the to shreds and maybe not even a rebuild, but want there to be a lot of changes in terms of if you want to go out and compete and contend while you're building up the farm system, well, I don't want you to do it with these guys. I need to see new new faces. And that's not realistic when you have money involved. If it was Stratomatic or Fantasy Baseball, you could get that done. Yeah, you could strip your team of the Cannes of the world and the Robertsons and maybe even Marte and Vogelback and guys like that and replace them with other component players or ancillary uh, all-star types. But you can't do it with 25-man roster unless you rebuild and strip it down. And we'll see. I don't think that that's going to be something we're talking about, but it is something that we've put on the table. So... When you go and you sit down with an Otani, who's been fabulous in Anaheim, you got I, there's going to be a part of yourself that sits there and says, "Will his bat turn to dust when he comes here? Is he ready? You know, he gets sixty million dollars a year. Is he ready for the expectations of a fan base that expects him to be a savior and be perfect? And mind you, because they've had such a bad season and because they've regressed." Otani, and I'll use that as an example, who just six months ago would have been coming into a team that was on the rise, that had a number of stars, including you know, one of his countrymen who may be part of this core, even at the age of 30, that's developing into a much better pitcher than I could have imagined. I mean, let's face it, Kodai Singh has been the Mets' ace. That's crazy to say. And he's looked every bit that ace over the last month and a half. His development curve has shrunk exponentially. Something that I thought it would take a season has maybe taken eight, nine, ten weeks. You know, coming into that scenario, which was a comfortable way to insert himself into the New York market, he's coming here as a savior. Turned down the Yankees seven years ago. What makes you think he's going to want to come here and do it with the Mets when he's not going to have the pinstripes? He's not going to have the 
blessed media coverage. He's not going to have the 27 World Series. He's going to have a history of nearly 40 years of pain, disappointment, and a fan base that is really negative. Now, maybe not as negative in person at City Field as it is on Twitter and social media, but even though a majority of people are not on Twitter and social media, maybe even Facebook, components of what the negativity and the narrative is that you see on your friend's Facebook page, that seeps into the ballpark. It's a negative place to be. The minute things go bad around here, nobody's trying to persevere through it as a fan. You're trying to figure out what's the next bad scenario you're going to have to deal with. And I get it. You've been through a lot. You have a history. The best predictor of the future is history, right? We talk about that all the time. But not in this case because as Mike Vaccaro, and we'll get him on in a couple of minutes, you know, when he talks about Mike Sosha and how things went bad in the fall of 1988 and a confident Mets, cocky Mets fan base saw all that mojo turn to dust and or was it Samson getting his hair cut off? Mike Sosha means diddly to this year's Mets team. What happened when Armando Benitez blowing a save in the World Series in 2000 means absolutely nothing for David Robertson. None of these guys are going out there thinking about that. What they're going out there is an understanding is that you have uh, the highest payroll in baseball. You have everybody in the league hates you because everybody hates the big money teams. And you have a fan base that expects you to be perfect. But in the back of their head, well, wants you to be perfect and demands you to be perfect, but expects you to be far less than that. And the minute the road gets rocky, which in sports, no matter how good of a season you have, there's rocky road. The fan base is going to start to get on your case and, and the energy level. And there is a thing. Look, guys, you want to think it's voodoo and I'm talking crazy here. Energy and a sports arena plays a big part to success or failure one way or the other. It's not the only factor. It's not the thing, but it is a big thing. And for the most part, energy at City Field, especially when things get rough, gets really, really tense and bad. And if you don't think the players feel that, well, then you're not paying attention. So this is because this has always been a hard place to play. But now it's becoming Boston, Chicago, New York Rangers, 1940 jinx light. And I'm not sure we're all that far away from the Mets being in the same pantheon as, the, as those teams. At the very least... They could be a modern-day Rangers in the Stanley Cup thing. The only difference is I don't think anybody's going to be chanting 1986 or you know, like they chanted 1940. But who knows? Look, five years from now, in 2027, what are you looking at? You're looking at 50 years since they won. 80, you know, 96, 2006, 26, you know, 40 years since they won their last World Series. That's a long time. That's a long time. So how do you fix that? Well, you need a special group of players that are above that. And I thought you had that with Buck coming in and with the group last year, but clearly you don't. And in a lot of ways, I'm starting to question if some of the guys on this team, and I'll talk about it, Pete Alonzo specifically, are they really up for this? Do they, you know, McNeil, is he up for this? I mean, Lindor, I think, is is somewhat up for it, but I think it ebbs and flows. 
you know, notice he's played better as, you know, the season has kind of slipped away here. Because it doesn't matter now. You know, if they hit well in August and September, and you say, see, the back of the baseball card just took longer to come about. Well, yeah. I mean, they're going to hit some, you know, they're not, these are not 4A players we're talking about. But now, you know, extended spring training, which is essentially what the end of a lost season is, and performance, I'm not quite sure that the anvil of expectations is quite as heavy once the apathy, once the anger, June was anger month. July is acceptance into August, and that's where apathy comes into play. And then it just starts over once the the bell rings for the off season, where the demands and the anger and the frustration and the debate all comes back into play. So I've said for a while there's this yoke of expectation, this anvil on the back of the organization. People laugh, people get mad, say it's voodoo. Look at what the Cubs went through. Look at what the Red Sox went through. Look at what the New York Rangers went through. These things are real. And players come in and have to live with the history that they're coming into. The Rangers took a special, special, special individual to break that curse. And it took a lot. Remember, everybody remembers game six against the Devils. Same for the Red Sox, same for the Cubs. I don't have to go through the instances. You guys know history. Who is the Mets' Mark Messier? Who is the Mets' Kevin Millar? You know, who is the Mets' Aroldis Chapman? Is that Diaz? Think about that. Think about the Cubs after they got swept by the Mets in 2015. They were talking about Curse of the Billy Goat. But think about the energy the next spring when that group came together and really decided they enough is enough. And we're just going to run through this league. It's We're meant to win. And yeah, there's a common thread with the Red Sox and the Cubs, Theo Epstein. Some of you might be saying, well, why don't they just go out and get Theo Epstein? I think Theo's done. You break one curse, great. You break two curses. There's a third time a charm, especially when you could go and do some other things and have better work-life balance at that. Who knows? You know, a lot of stranger things have happened. But right now... The realization has, if it hasn't hit you, it should. This is a tough place to play. It's going to take special people to play here to get the Mets out of this, to get this organization out of this. I think they have a special owner, but money alone is not going to do it. And you have to start to ask, are these core guys that I mentioned up for it? Do they need somebody else to bring it together? Is that Otani? Is that somebody else? And if they're not up for it, then maybe you have to start to think about, can you move them? Can you move on? And that's where the R word comes into play, rebuild. And I don't think the Mets are going to do that by August 1st. But I got to tell you, Mike Sylvan talking Mets is starting to think about it. And I'm not ready to go full R word with you today. But I am watching, looking to see who really is up for being here. Because it's far greater than war batting average on balls in play, run creation, all that stuff. Only player, and I'll put Nimmo in that. You should put Nimmo in that court too. It's five or six guys. That really is up to standard. And even his, his season is a tick below last year, is Brandon Nimmo. Everybody else is subpar. And that's perplexing. But not so perplexing when you think about the task at hand and erasing a long, bad history of disappointment and the burden of expectations that is the New York Mets. 
Is this something that's crazy? Is it goofy? Will Mike Vaccaro agree with me? Well, Mike kind of spurred the conversation here on today's show with an article in the New York Post where he went all the way back to the fall of 1988 when it looked like the Mets were about to win their second World Series in three years. Heck, if not for Terry Pendleton taking a a sinker of Roger McDowell over the center field wall in September of 1987, we might have been talking three-peat in the fall of uh, 1988. Well, none of that happened, and Mike Sosha had a lot to do with it. Is that... Where this all started, does Mike agree with the yoke that I talk about all the time, the burden of expectations, the anvil on the back of this organization? We'll talk about that and more with Mike Vaccaro of the New York Post right after this. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Sosha at the plate. Hernandez playing back of the runner at first. And that's ripped to right field and deep. Strawberry goes back. She's gone. Mike Sosha with 35 home runs in eight and a half years in the major leagues. And we talked about him throughout the series. Big and strong, but really a contact hitter. A man who doesn't strike out a lot and who doesn't hit very many home runs, averaging about four per season. It's the biggest of his career. It wasn't the home run. It was the walk. And he had a solo homer with nobody on it. Be a four-to-three ball game. I'm sure he's just trying to make contact here. But again, as we said, a lot of velocity. You better get the bat going. So even if you're only trying to make contact, you have to have a good swing, and it has to be a quick one. The reason Asosha says, "I don't hit a lot of home runs. I don't lift the ball." Well, he lifted that one. Sports columnist for the New York Post, Mike Vaccaro. Uh, you guys know him. And the good news is we're going to be seeing a lot more of Mike uh, another couple of years at the New York Post. Uh, in an environment where, obviously, a lot of newspapers are dwindling their sports section. Mike, uh, welcome to the program. Uh, congratulations. Good to hear that you'll be with the New York Post a couple more years. I was, I was happy to hear that too, Mike. Yeah, no, it's worked out very well for me so far. 21 years in November, and uh, yeah, looking forward to uh to be in there uh, plenty longer. Mike Vaccaro has a recent article about the uh, Mets uh, channel, the 1988 Mets. You know what's interesting, Mike, is I was reading your article. It's a concept that I've been talking about for a couple of years. Mets uh, obviously in the midst of an awful season. Now, I don't want to go about calling them the Chicago Cubs, the New York Rangers, 1940, the Red Sox, but you point out, and I've said there's a bit of an anvil on this team's back for anybody that obviously comes to play here and is of importance and you go back to the fall of 88 and maybe even further than that the fall of 87 and it's interesting because you're like one of the first to actually bring that up and it might be the start after this season of a conversation maybe not analytical or logical is there some sort of uh curse going on here with the new york mets well it certainly started a different mindset for mets fans i mean you know in 88 uh, mets fans were were probably the cockiest fans in town because they just expected good things to happen and with good reason because good things had happened constantly for a number of years. 
So, um, you know, so they, they just won a championship in 86. And, and uh, you know, it, 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 it seemed like nothing but good things were happening for that team. And, uh, you know, it, 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 it's almost like, uh, you know, the year before Terry Pennell hit a, home, a big home run late in the season, they kind of changed the uh, the course of that pennant race. So, but, but you know, in 88, the Mets still won 100 games and they still looked like they were, you know, kind of playing with a swagger that we remember from 86. But that social home run in game four, I really kind of almost changed the way that the Mets fans perceived the way the Mets are going to do things. I mean, it's, it, 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 it seems silly almost, but, uh, but that's really the way it's kind of happened, the way it's played out. As you reminisced with a couple of those former members of the 88 Mets, I remember the late Gary Carter, he and I were speaking uh, when he was manager of the Ducks, and I brought up, and you actually brought it up, bringing in Randy Myers there in the ninth inning, and I asked Gary flat out, I was like, hey, you think Davey should have went to Myers? And he just smiled at me, and he said, uh, that's not for me to say. Uh, but obviously, there's uh, a lot of regret there with that group, from losing Bobby Ojeda to a freak injury, to just throughout that season... The Mets trying to erase the weirdness of 87. It seemed like that team, which may have been the best team of that era, even better than 86, there was something off. And, and I don't know, how, did you get any other kind of perspective in reminiscing with some of those former 88 Mets? Yeah, those guys said that in 86, well, 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 well you know, they, they just kind of wanted to steamroll play to our teams when they were playing them. In 88, uh, I know Ryan Darling said this, it was more like they were just uh, a well-oiled machine where they just, you know, good things happened to them and they just knew how to win baseball games. And I think, especially when you look at this year's team, you know, this Mets team, which seems to just only understand how to lose baseball games, you understand what a gift it is to be able to, you know, to, to, to know how to win. And when you have that kind of a confidence and that kind of a swagger every day, I mean, you're going to probably do pretty well. And that's kind of what happened in 88. And, uh, you know, it's just, uh, it just all seemed to kind of head into a wall when, uh, when the associates had been deep. Mike Vaccaro, New York Post. You could check him out on Twitter at MikeVac, V-A-C-C. Mike, I, uh, I saw some of the other writers maybe mention, and, in recent, and I wasn't at City Field this weekend, but obviously the losing, the booing. It can be, and, and when the Mets are not playing well, especially over the last, oh, I'd say five or six years towards the end of Will Pond ownership, it can get very toxic with the fans. The environment can be negative. And, I, you know, you point back to this time in 88, and I'm wondering, as you, who covers the team, goes to games at City Field, has seen a lot, this is becoming a tough place to play. We know the Yankees are tough. It's a tough place to play. We know the Knicks. We know New York is tough. But the Mets are kind of taking on this, and again, this is my opinion, this new form of, it's not just about the little brother to the Yankees anymore. They have money. They have all the money in the world. It's almost this yoke of expectations, this anvil on their backs, or failures, so to speak. And it's interesting because this can become a really tough place to play. And I wonder if it's played into some of the core players like Alonzo and Lindor and McNeil having some underperforming seasons. Maybe. I mean, look, I mean, but, but they, they, they all played well last year. And it was uh, same city, same ballpark, same fan base. You know, I mean, I don't think, uh, I, I, look, I mean, to me, I, you become a professional athlete for a reason. And I just don't, I, you know, I, I think we try and, uh, you know, amateur, those of us who have never gotten paid to play uh, don't understand that, I mean, you have to have a certain mindset to play no matter where you're going to play it. And I, I really, I mean, I, you know, I suppose there are some, some individual people who say, well, maybe they were spooked by New York, but if, you, if you're good enough to make it to the, to, to, to the major leagues in any sport, you're making, you know, some, in some cases tens of million dollars a year. You know, I, I just don't see that's really a factor. I mean, I, I can't, I don't blame, 
uh, expectations or the city for anything that happens good or bad to a team. I mean, like I said, this is the same for they won 101 games last year, you know, and everything was everything was ice cream and apple pie. Um, so I, I, I don't really give me like I mean, it's, it's, it's a bunch of guys having a bad year, you know, and I mean, as hard as it's to play a city field they're, they've got a lot worse record on the road. So you can't blame, you know, you can't blame the booing in, in, in that case because you're playing worse on the road than you are at home. You've been around a long time, and usually the fans want blood. They want someone to pay, and Steve Cohen came out and said, hey, I'm not here to just fire people. He even talked about Billy Epler assisting in the process of hiring maybe a president of baseball operations. Buck Showalter's a longtime manager, has been here, was with the Yankees, and you know his first year had you know some ups and downs throughout his whole tenure. Um, could you see, I mean, now as you look at the back half of this season, we know they're really not going anywhere. Uh, it's going to be hard to change the, the, the deck chairs here. You're probably going to have a president of baseball operations, but Epler's still going to be involved. Buck has another year on his contract. Maybe the Steve Cohen honeymoon of everything being great, touching you know the yellow brick road, everything touches, turns to gold. It'll be interesting, the reaction into this offseason, because they're going to have to, as you point out, a lot of players having underperforming years. Not much you can do. You can't just turn over 25 guys, even for a wealthy owner like Cohen. No, you can't. I mean, look, I mean, there are things you can do. If they declare them, you know, themselves dead, you know, and, and start selling pieces off, you know, Marte here, a kind of there. I mean, you're going to have a, little, a lot of different looking team. But, look, I think I, I think the decision makers, I mean, I, I'd be very surprised if you don't see a president of baseball operations hire next uh, next year. I mean, David Stearns is the name you hear all the time. Um, what does that mean for Buck? Well, look, I mean, I, 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 I think Buck's, you know, earned the opportunity to, to, to prove that, you know, one of these two years, last year or this year, was the aberration, and uh, you know, to me, I mean, you know, you, 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 I, I think that's what you do. You find out next year what you got. I mean, this is a situation this year where I think you know they got into a rut and they, and they just never get out of it. That happens sometimes. There's always so much a manager can do, and you know, again, these same players that were that were delivering one you know great moment after another last year, you know, this year are all underperforming, and you got you know last year's batting champion is hitting under 250. Which is, you know, which is stunning. So, you know, you know, all those things going together. But I do think that, uh, look, I mean, there, there comes a point where you just kind of like put your hands up and say, like, this year is what this year is, and you move on. Um, and we'll be interested to see what happens. I, I already think part of the honeymoon for Steve Cohen is over, right? I think he would acknowledge that. I mean, it's just, you know, now you know, he's, he's the guy who obviously put the three to five year deal uh, on people and uh, on his team, wanted to win a championship. And, you know, it's, uh, it, it, it's year three now. And, uh, and they're no closer than they were when he took over. But uh, obviously, it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting time for him, for sure. When you look at where the bed, you know, again, I'm talking illogical here, but when you try to assess all these players with resumes, and I'm not talking about one-year resumes, with decent resumes, some Hall of Famers, maybe you could talk about age, it all seemed to go sour. I mean, think about it. If you and I were having this conversation right around Christmas, Mets had just signed Correa, they had Nimmo, they had signed Robertson, you know, they had... You know, basically remade their uh, rotation. Kodai Singer was very promising and has produced. But after the Correa non-signing, and then subsequently a few weeks later, the Diaz injury, it's almost like the bad energy started then. And you have to wonder, I mean, even to a certain degree with Aaron Judge, you know, more understandable with Judge and the Yankees, how one player, a closer, who pitches about 60 innings, 
I don't know how much different things would be, but you have to think that that set a sour tone and in some ways showed you how valuable Diaz was last year. It's crazy to say he might have been their MVP last year with all the great years that were around him. They seem to really miss him, and maybe that Timmy Trumpets, that energy, came out of the building when his knee blew out. Well, yeah, and, and then look, I mean, if, if you have Diaz, then you have Robertson, who had been a pretty good ninth-inning pitcher, because he was a lights-out eighth-inning pitcher. I think Adovino was far more suited for the seventh-inning. And then, you know, he, 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 this parade of, of quality pitchers that have served as relief pitchers, you know, a good chunk of the relief pitching core, you know, you know maybe they're just not involved at all. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, now, now that said, uh, a, good, a good team really should be able to overcome, you know, the loss of one relief pitcher. I'm not saying that, you know, I, I think that uh, that uh, they stopped being a, a true champion contender when when Diaz wasn't part of their, you know, formula. But uh, that doesn't that, that, that shouldn't really have accounted for them just going completely with the tank. Mike, would you do something big at the deadline? Would you trade a Pete Alonso? Would you look more at moving at McNeil? I know the value would be low. I mean, everybody figures that they're going to sell off some of the component pieces, you know, maybe a Carrasco, Canna, guys like that. But if you were in the GM chair or you were advising Billy Epler, would you think bigger? Is this something where we, we should start talking about the R word, rebuild? You mentioned Cohen's promise of three to five years. You know, rebuilding or any kind of big rebuild would probably take that goal and throw it in the trash. What would you like to see? And if you were talking to Billy Epler now, what kind of advice would you give him? Well, I think it'd be foolish to, to trade through the lines. I know he hasn't had a great year, but uh, I mean, honestly, I mean, you know, do you, do you, assuming that, 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 that uh, what you've gotten for most of his career is the kind of player he is. I mean, I think that's the kind of player you want to acquire. Um, and you already have him. Um, I mean, to me, if, you know, if you're training for, for prospects, you, you know, you, you pray that one of those prospects is equal to the Alonzo somewhere on the road. So I'm not sure that accomplishes a lot, even though he's probably the one player who you could probably maximize your assets if that's what you're into. But look, I mean, I just don't see Steve Cohen ever being a, you know, the kind of owner that's been, a, that's going to go through a complete and utter rebuild from the ground up. I mean, I just don't think that's the way he's wired. I don't think that's the reason why he bought the team. And I, I think when you have the kind of resources he has, you're allowed to, to kind of feel that way. So, Mike, what do you got coming up? You know, you have a great article that you uh, put out the other day about the Immaculate Grid. There's some fun stuff there. You know, obviously you cover not just baseball but the NBA. So give the listeners an idea of, you know, what to expect from Mike Vaccaro over the next couple of weeks with, I guess, from one side of town, football training camp can't come soon enough. Yeah, you know, but really, you know it, it's, it's a uh, – this is kind of a fun time of the year, right, because you got football starting up, and obviously both teams have, have reasons to be excited, so it would be uh, – We'll be diving into that 20 uh, during, uh, especially as August turns to September. You know, uh, if, if the Yankees can hang on, you know, and, and not completely go in the tank like the other team in town has, uh, they'll certainly give you a September worth paying attention to, if not in October. Um, and, you know, to me, I mean, the, uh, the, you know, the Knicks are always kind of there in the background because uh, I don't think Leon Rose is necessarily done putting together next year's team. And it'd be really interesting to see what he does in terms of trying to, to make that happen. So it's, uh, it's, kind of a, it's, it's, it's kind of a fun time because really all the, all the sports that uh, that I care about anyway are, are, in, are in play. You know, there's your hockey's in the background, and you know I kind of take a distant view of hockey until we, until there's really a you know a, a real need to get involved in the playoffs and stuff because we have Larry Brooks and our paper doing a great job. But uh, so yeah, so I mean, I, 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 it's, 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 a, it's a busy time, a fun time, but uh, you know, we really start to get into, into crunch time uh, once we get to September. We know you're looking forward to the NBA in season tournament, correct? Oh my God! The, uh, the professional NIT was what I call them. The paper. So, I mean, I, 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 I've yet to meet 
anybody who has been clamoring for that. And, uh, you know, when I meet that person, I'll let you know. <laughs> All right, Mike. Well, listen, uh, thanks so much. It's been a while since we uh, caught up with you. Uh, love your work, and uh, let's do it again, my friend. Sounds good, Mike. Good talking to you. That's Mike Vaccaro of the New York Post. Check him out at Mike Vac on Twitter. All right, let's take a quick break. Wrap up. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five, because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon and enjoy the rest of the show. All right, we're back. Final thoughts. Appreciate Mike Vaccaro for joining us. By the way, good article by Mike over at the Post about the Immaculate Grid. I know baseball reference. I guess it's a crossword. I haven't done it yet. I'm like probably the only guy that's listening that hasn't played with the Immaculate Grid, but I guess you would call it a sports crossword puzzle. It'll become like a word with friends hysteria for a few months, and then people get bored and move on. That's usually the way the modern world of social media works, but great article there about the Immaculate Grid with Mike Vaccaro. Uh, great stuff, and and look um, – doesn't sound like Mike agreed with me, kind of threw cold water on the whole thing. And I know there are many of you in the audience that don't agree with this concept that this is the New York Rangers of 1994, the Cubs of uh, 2016, the, the Red Sox of 04. But I have to tell you, I think this is going to be something that's going to gain some traction. It really is. Because it's a long time now. The expectations are higher than ever. The pressure is higher than ever. You don't have 27 World Series in your back pocket. You don't have pinstripes. You don't have the benefit of the doubt, nor at times have you deserved that benefit of the doubt. I'm not asking for people to absolve the Mets from their history. What I'm saying is I don't think everybody realizes that it's going to take a very, 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 very special group to overcome this. And this is all magic beans and pixie dust. It is. The same guy who tells you don't believe in the magic beans and the pixie dust with Yankee pinstripes. Well... For a while, there was a thing called the Yankees bump where anybody put on the pinstripes would become the best version of themselves. Jose Vizcaino, Aaron Small, Sean Chacon, Shane Spencer. I could go on and on and on. And a lot of that is not just luck. It's the energy and the foundation of that positive energy. I mean, think about the Yankees after 96. Again, a team that had a little bit of an, a, a run where they hadn't won in, what, almost 20 years of championship. And that team had to overcome extreme challenges, especially in the World Series, to win that title. And it was almost like they took that and they catapulted there and the energy level and everything they touched turned to gold, similar to the 86 Mets until Mike Sosha. So is this the curse of Mike Sosha? Is it the curse of Terry Pendleton? Is it the deal with the devil that somebody made in October of 86 to get the Mets with two outs and two strikes, a championship, Billy Buckner, whatever. You know, was there somebody in the stands that said, if the Mets just win tonight in 86, I'll never ask for another championship again. Do they have that much influence that the rest of us now have to suffer? I don't know. Again, I'm getting a little goofy here, but 
I think the most important part of this is, yes, there is expectations here. And Steve Phillips has always said it. You get all the perks of New York, but none of what the Yankees are. So you're expected to win like the Yankees without the budget when he was the general manager. Now you have the budget and you have the expectations. Man, that's a that just makes this that much harder. And it makes that yoke, it makes that anvil that much heavier. By the way, to just point it out, if you go to baseball reference and you rank by expected one loss all the teams in Mets history, number one team, 86, number two team, 88, number three team, that's the 2022 Mets. Amazing, right? You know, not everybody realizes how good last year was up until the Braves series, really, the last two weeks of the season. And, uh, well, now you might know. So, anyway, uh, that's that. Uh, oh, one last thing, just playing fun with numbers here. I was just looking at expected one loss versus actual one loss. You know what one of the most disappointing teams, just from that standpoint, is in Mets history, the 1995 Mets, who went on this like crazy second half run that first season back from the strike. And they were expected to be a team that won at a 528 pace, very similar to those 97, 98 clubs that missed the wild card, but they were below 500. So you could really point out that that Mets team is one of the bigger underachievers. And even 2014, another team right before the World Series year that had an expected one loss of over 500 and was below 500. Uh, so many other examples. Like there's a few teams that you think of as major disappointments. And when you start to look at the, you know, under the hood with the numbers, they should have done a hell of a lot better than they than they did. So, you know, just some fun with numbers there. And uh, I promise we're not going to talk the rest of the second half about curses and jinx and anvils and yokes and things like that. You know, I threw up one of my famous polls on Twitter Asking, you know, what do you guys like to see for the rest of the season as before we head to the offseason, which I am already labeling, and somebody will steal it. It's the winter of Otani. Now, how long that winter and how long the Otani talk lasts remains to be seen. It seems like the odds of a return to the Mets, like it's, you know, a lot of people still think it's the Mets or the Dodgers. I think the Mets always were a push on that because the LA connection, because of. I mean, he's out in L.A. That's where he wanted to be on the West Coast. He didn't want to be on the East Coast when he came here over from Japan. Does Kodai Senga help us out a little bit here? It doesn't sound like they're all that tight. But, you know, can he share some of the experiences of how it is playing here, how it is for a Japanese-American playing for Steve Cohen's Mets? But with that said, I'm not going to spend the rest of the season dreaming of Otani. I'm not even going to get into Otani talk. That's going to that's gonna be deadline clickbait because I just don't think the Angels, unless they get a haul, are going to deal them. I just don't think. And I think anybody who buys them has to really be confident that they could sign them because the assets that you'd have to give up for this all-time player, a guy that could play, means I hate to say that he's a modern-day Babe Ruth. I mean, that's probably crazy to say, but I'm just saying it from a standpoint of pitching and hitting. We've never seen it before. I don't know if this is a trend that's going to start. I don't think we'll ever see it again. So I'm not going to spend the rest of the, the season dreaming of Otani. Uh, a lot of you guys on the poll are not too interested in Mets history talk, but I do want to do a – I'm trying to see if there's some alumni reports we can do, you know, some fun luminaries from Mets history. I know everybody overwhelmingly wants to hear about the farm system. We had our buddy Ernie Dove on a couple of weeks ago. That segment went over very well. 
There's a lot of positive things happening, I think, in the Mets farm system. I think now that you start to see some of the pitchers uh, hit double A or having success down in Brooklyn, I think over the next 12 to 24 months, we may see a clearer picture of the kind of pitching help that this team that hasn't had in the last few years, maybe it will start to have at that point. I will see what I can do to get what I want to get is real talk about prospects. I don't want to get into rankings and lists. And a lot of the guys that do that work, and I'm not calling out any one organization, they're really not scouts. Maybe they're subject matter experts because when you write about it, you live in that world, you become really versed in what people think and say. But I want to hear from those who see the players, watch the players, have context of who they are as people. That's harder to achieve, so I'll work on guests in that sense. Um, you know, I'm sure we'll call out hypocrisy. I put that up there. And a lot of people, you like the calling out the hypocrisy. There is going to be a ton of hypocrisy. I found it interesting just a few days ago. Oh, you know, Max Scherzer can only fetch a C or D prospect. Nobody wants him. Throws a nice game on a Sunday afternoon against one of the best teams in the game, the Dodgers. All of a sudden now, Joel Sherman's got a big splash across the New York Post. Verlander, you know, Verlander too, pitched well on Friday. Uh, well, not really well. He battled. I shouldn't say that. He battled. You know, he's still rusty. I mean, there's still the, you know, both those guys reek of three and four starters. And that's interesting. You know, maybe the Mets can get a haul on prospects for two Hall of Famers, future Hall of Famers, making combined about $90 million of this payroll. And if you could, you know, if they're going to be number three, number four starters with that inconsistency, they're going to look more or point more towards Carlos Carrasco than they are to Jacob deGrom, then... Yes, I think you should listen. And if you could get a haul of prospects, why not rebuild the farm system? Because you could go out with Cohen's wallet and get number three, number four starters that could perform like that. Now, if these guys have anything left in the tank, anything to get themselves re-energized in uh, 2024 when they come back, maybe with a year for Verlander, a year of New York under their belt, and you know Scherzer on a walk year, maybe he wants to pitch again. You know, there could be reason to keep them because you can get really good versions of them next year. And, and then, you know, away you go. And then it's a whole different conversation. It's a whole different look. If those guys are dominant, it's a whole different look for this team. But ultimately, it's going to take the core guys and even the young guys coming up. And soon, there might be some pitchers in that that have to understand what they're in for here. The, the burden of what this place is. It's a great place to win and play. But the fans put you through the ringer with their emotional inconsistency and negativity is nothing worse than that. I have to tell you, I think the Mets right now are mired in the most negativity out of any New York sports team. You want to put the Jets into there? I could see that. Look, the Jets are facing the same thing with Aaron Rodgers. They start out 0-2. Where do you see Met life? <laughs> you know, if, if the Jets are coming home week three, and I don't have the Jets schedule in front of me, and they're 0-2, well, geez. You know, all the goodwill from the offseason of Aaron Rodgers goes away. So maybe you could put the Jets in there, but I still think the Mets, it's one of the most negative, highest expectations, negative, cloud over their head fan bases in sports, certainly here in New York. And it's making the job of being uh, a player on this team even that much harder. So, anyway, that's my show here uh, on this Monday, day off for the Mets. You could check me out all the time at the talkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media and to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. 
If you want to interact with me, Mike Silvat, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. Mike Silvat, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. You can get me on Instagram, no, TalkingMetsNoG. And, of course, I want to thank our good partners, the good folks from the fan side of Podcasting Network for supporting the show. I am your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. I'll be back with another Talking Mets podcast next week. Till then, take care, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.